Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. We're about to go into a message that I delivered recently, and I hope that it encourages you, it inspires you, and it launches you further in your walk with Jesus. That's my heart for you as you listen. If it does encourage you, why not share it with someone who you think could do with hearing it as well? And subscribe so that you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. For now, sit back, enjoy, and I hope that you get blessed. As I preach this morning, I want to preach out of one of my favorite stories, but it's a new message. And the message is called Man in a Mantle. A man in a mantle. And in our gender-crazy society, I picked that name on purpose. I'm talking about mankind. I'm talking about us. What it is when a man is in a mantle. What it is when a human is carrying the mantle of God. And in the Bible, the mantle is the anointing. The mantle is the covering. The mantle is what sat on a prophet's life and enabled him. It's what set him apart. It was, it was like his uniform. And wherever he went, because he was wearing the mantle, people knew he was the prophet. And so I want to talk out of the story where Elijah transfers the mantle of God to Elisha. And we are, I wish, I wish I could preach to you out of the blissful days of David. I wish I could say to you we are living in the days of David where biblical morality is the norm, where people are generally good and positive and kind, where worship is fundamental and accepted, worship of God is fundamental and accepted. I wish I could tell you that. Unfortunately, that was our grandparents' day. We're not in those days anymore. We're in the days of the prophets. We're in the days of Elijah and Elisha, where men and women have to stand up in a culture that is opposed to biblical morality. Well, they have to stand up to kings and say, the Spirit of the Lord wants you to know this, this, and this. We're in the days of the prophets. In the prophet Joel, and again quoted in Acts, it tells us in the last days, the Lord will pour out his Spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy. What does that mean? That means there's not just one Elijah or Elisha walking around. It means we are all called to be prophets in the last days. It means we're all called to put on the anointing in the last days. And so I want to I take us through this journey of the anointing of a man and the mantle that he carries. And you and I will relate this morning to the prophet Elisha the one who's receiving the anointing, the one who's receiving the call. The story starts in 1 Kings 19. Elijah has been the prophet for many years and he is remarkable. The way he moves supernaturally, the healings, the provision, the flow of the spirit that ministers to his generation is remarkable. He operates in the realms of heavenly places. He's not subject to or limited to natural circumstances. He's a guy that says to an ungodly king, because 
you worship other gods. Because you do profaned things, there will be no rain in the earth and it doesn't rain for three years and a drought covers the land and famine. And then he gets up in front of this same king and he says, you know what, now it's going to rain and it rains. Like this is a man who is not subject to natural conditions. He determines the natural conditions according to the word of God. And so here we have his story in 1 Kings, this amazing prophet Elijah, and he he does great exploits for God. And then towards the end of his life in chapter 19, God speaks to him and says, okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to anoint a new king and I want you to anoint a new prophet in your place. He says, I want you to go to Elisha and I want you to anoint him as the new prophet in your place. And so Elijah goes and finds Elisha, and he finds Elisha doing a Monday to Friday job. He finds Elisha in a setting just like yours, Ben, what you're walking into tomorrow, what many of us are walking back into tomorrow. And Elijah finds Elisha in that place of everyday Monday to Friday activity. And so in 1 Kings, let's pick it up in chapter 19, verse 19. So Elijah went and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, plowing a field. We're in an an agricultural society. He's plowing. It's the family business. He's plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen. Now we know that oxen went in pairs. So there's 12 pairs of oxen. And Elisha was plowing the last one. Like the worst view, I mean, you're talking 12 pairs of oxen's backsides in front of you, dust, grot, and he's plowing the family field. He's doing the family business. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I'll go with you. He knew what was happening. Elijah didn't say anything. He just threw his cloak, his mantle, over Elisha, and Elisha knew exactly what this meant. No doubt Elisha had heard, if not encountered or seen, what this man could do. And suddenly he's come into his environment, into his Monday to Friday, and he's thrown his powerful anointing over him. This is what the Spirit of God is doing in the last days. He's coming into your field today and throwing an anointing over you. And so he says, let me just get some stuff sorted out. And Elijah replied, go back, but think about what it is that I've just done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. Wow. Think about that. He slaughtered them. Then he used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed the meat around to the townspeople. Everyone knew that he was doing this and they all ate. And he went with Elijah as his assistant. This is what the Spirit of God wants to do and is doing this morning. He's throwing his mantle over you. And my first thought for us this morning is that we need to respond to it. 
You know, in the Old Testament, the anointing was represented either by oil, so kings or prophets were anointed with oil, where they would literally like pour liters of oil over a person. And that was symbolic now of the office they were coming under by the call of God, because the Holy Spirit was represented by oil. And so they would anoint with oil. But here in Elijah and Elisha's story, the anointing is represented in the cloak, in the mantle he wore. And so this morning we're going to have both. We've got oil. You don't all each get a cloak. (laughs) But I bought this from this amazing woman who does medieval costumes. He threw his mantle over Elisha, and Elisha knew what he was doing. And so my first thought is this, is how do we respond? Because this morning, by the Spirit of God, by his agenda, I am offering you an invitation. I am offering you an invitation to come into the call of God for you, to play your part in 2023. I'm interrupting your life. The Spirit of God is interrupting your plans. He does that. He really does. There's nothing about following God that's convenient. And if you want convenience, you're not cut out for this. He interrupts us. He interrupts us. Why? Because he wants to fill us. And when he fills us, what he does with our lives, we could never do in our own strength. The things that he achieves in our generation, we literally sit back and go, God, only you could do this. I'm not that smart. I'm not that good. I definitely don't deserve this. And so I'm offering you an invitation, a new invitation. It's a new year, a new opportunity to step into the mysteries of God. It's a new commissioning to come and be a part of what God has for you and for your generation. An invitation to be filled. What a privilege. An invitation, he's saying, come, let me cover you. Let me fill you. You don't have to do this on your own. Come, let me empower you. An opportunity, an invitation to be filled, to be empowered, to be challenged to all ends, challenged and stretched and grown, to take up your cross and follow him. An opportunity to say yes, a new invitation. This will be the hardest thing you'll ever do, but the most rewarding thing you'll ever do. Stepping into the things of God does not compare to 12 pairs of oxen. Now, 12 pairs of oxen imply that he was very wealthy. Very, very wealthy. And what did he do? He took them all and slaughtered them. He took the wood from the plows and burned them. And Elijah says to him, come, follow me. By throwing this over his shoulders, he's saying, come, follow me. And you know what I've noticed in my own life is in following Jesus, you get so many mixed messages. Oh my word. The Bible says we see dimly now and one day we'll see clearly. I wish we could see clearly because 99.9999% of the time, I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. 
and I get mixed messages. And so Elijah says initially, come follow me, throws the mantle over, and he says, come follow me. So Elijah leaves everything. Elisha leaves everything and follows Elijah. But at the end of Elijah's life, in 2 Kings, Elijah gives him a different message. And he goes, you know what? I'm just about to finish up. Stop following me. Like the total opposite. And we read about it. Stop following me in 2 Kings 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord is about The Lord has told me to go to Bethel. Elisha says, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. And then the group of prophets, you know, there's always those people that, oh my goodness. (laughs) Don't you know the Lord is going to take your master away from you? Elisha's like, yeah, I know. I know. What of it? Be quiet, he says. (laughs) Very polite ways. Yeah. Verse 4, Elijah then says to Elisha again, stay here because the gods told me to go to Jericho. Elisha replies, as surely as you live, as surely as the Lord lives, I will never leave you. And then the prophets again, oh my goodness, of course I know. Be quiet about it. Verse 6, Elijah says to Elisha again a third time, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River this time. And Elisha replies again, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. He gets mixed messages. One day the guy's saying, come follow me, leave everything and follow me. And then at the end, he's like, don't follow me. Mixed messages. But Elisha knew who he wanted to be. And when you know who you want to be and you get a, a glimmer of it in God, no matter what the circumstances are, you're at it. You're immovable. People who get it, people who understand this invitation, they're immovable. They don't have a back door or a plan B. He says, no matter what, I'm following you. You may be my boss telling me to go, but I will not. I will not because I know who I want to be. And I know you've got what I need. And so he continues, my my thought for us this morning is that we need to respond. How will we respond? Every single one under the sound of my voice is being offered an invitation. How will you respond? How will you respond? He had no exit strategy, no exit strategy. He burned his wealth. He turned down the family business to follow a crazy guy who was really unpopular. And then at the end, he still refused the exit strategy. How will we respond? What is our response going to be? I decided as a very young teenage girl, that I would always wholeheartedly pursue the will of God no matter what circumstances came my way. That I would hone my character, that I would hone my abilities, that I would surrender to Him, that I would respond every day and every year with the resounding yes. Yes, God, no matter what it costs, we need to respond. Number two is we need to pick it up. 
So what happens is in 2 Kings 2, Elijah tells Elisha, don't follow me. Elisha says, I'm definitely following you. I'm not leaving you. And so then Elijah says after the third discourse, he says, well, what can I do for you before I go? In in, uh, 2 Kings 2 verse 9, that came to the other side of the Jordan. Elijah had used his cloak to strike the Jordan and it parted and they walked through together. And it says here in verse 9, when they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me have a double portion of your spirit, a double share of your anointing and become your successor. I love it because he already knew that was happening, but he just confessed it still. This is what I want, but I want a double portion of what you've got. How brazen and bold and faith-filled. Elijah, you're awesome and you do unthinkable miracles. I want twice what you've got. I want twice what you've got. Is it really only five minutes to go? (laughs) Verse 10. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you'll get your request. But if you don't, then you won't. And then what happens as they're walking, chariots of fire come between the two of them and and they scoop up Elijah and he gets taken off into heaven and he disappears. Verse 12, Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Verse 13, he picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen as he was taken up. And Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with the cloak of Elijah and he cried out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And then the river parted, divided, and Elisha went across and the group of the watching, always watching, never doing anything, just watching. (laughs) They saw from a distance what happened. And they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests on Elisha. And they went up to meet him. Oh, suddenly you're the cool guy. He picked it up. We've all heard the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You may have heard, the Lord feeds the birds, but he doesn't throw the worms in the nest. There is an active part to this that is on us. The picking up of the mantle, the bending over and picking up of what God is giving, the picking it up. It's an active process. It's an active process. We can't just sit and wait for everything to fall in our lap. He's already given us everything we need. We have to activate ourselves. We have to pick it up. In the Bible, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and then everything will be added to you. It says, draw near to God, and then He'll draw near to you. It says, hunger and thirst, and then you'll be filled. There's an active part that the onus falls on us to respond to the invitation and to pick it up. We have to pick it up. And in the picking up, it's probably for me the most exciting part of the process because it's the first part of the process I control. Everything else is the goodness of God. Everything else I don't deserve. It's just him and he chooses me and he offers. 
But when I get to do something, I'm right in on that. This is the first active part of the process that I determine is the picking up, the picking up. The next thing is we actually then have to put it on. We have to put it on. Pick it up and put it on. When I first started preaching, very reluctantly, young girl with a broken background, broken identity, rubbish self-worth, questions, a life of compromise, and God threw a mantle over me. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. You've got the wrong person. I'm sure you were meant to go next door. You've missed it. But apparently, he doesn't care so much about those things. Apparently, all he cares about is our response. Apparently, too many awesome people say no. And it's the dirtbags who say yes. (laughs) And someone decided that I had a gift of communication. And someone decided to put me on a platform, shaking, questioning, you've got to be out of your mind. Who am I to say anything to anybody? Why should anyone listen to me? And one of my pastors at the time taught me about the anointing. And he taught me to this passage of scripture right here, the mantle. And he said to me, every time you walk from the pew to the pulpit, visualize yourself putting on the anointing. The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be free. He has sent me to announce that the prisoners can be free. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that today is the day of God's favour for their lives. That today is the acceptable year of the Lord. He has sent me to comfort those who mourn to announce that those who are in despair and grief, that there is a crown for them, a joyous blessing instead of mourning. He has appointed me, anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And that walk from the pew to the pulpit every single Sunday is me visualizing this. There's nothing in and of myself that I have that I can give you. And I pity you if I ever did. There's nothing in me that you need. And so every single time I put on the anointing, it almost removes my self from the equation. All I am is just a willing vessel that the anointing rests on. I become a conduit, a vessel that he can move through. It's not even about you or me, it's about his spirit. And he's always just looking for willing people to rest on, to put it on in every conversation you're in this week. 
the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Too many people quote that scripture and they say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. No, no, no. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's about Him. It's not about us. In and of ourselves, we've got nothing. But under this, this empowerment, I go from nerves, and you know, nerves are actually selfish energy. Too often, we turn every situation about ourselves, walk into work, have a conflict with someone, have an argument in the family. It's about us, put the anointing on. It's not about us. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We have to put it on. Finally, we have to submit to it. What does the Holy Spirit do? Why don't we all stand to our feet this morning? to know that when I pray for you, my heart aches. My heart aches that you would just surrender fully to the Spirit of God. My heart aches that you would just completely abandon your agenda to the things of God. My heart aches for you. My heart aches that all of us would just submit to this mantle, this calling, this anointing. We have three baptisms. We're baptized into Christ, which is the moment of salvation. We are baptized in water, which is a symbolic declaration that I'm dying to my old self and coming alive, rising again, resurrected in Jesus. And we're baptized into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables and empowers. The Holy Spirit causes us to transcend self and step into a new capacity, a new ability, a new understanding, a new revelation, a new way. In Galatians 5, it talks about that transition, that submission to the Spirit. Galatians 5, 19 to 26. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension and division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. There is no law against any of these. They are life and life itself. 24, those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So beautiful. Such a privilege to crucify our old desires and leave them on the cross and to be anointed, to walk in submission to the Spirit of God 
who produces such beautiful freedom in our lives, who produces fruit that other people can partake of, we become a resource to our generation. We, don't, we aren't leeches. We're producers, we're contributors, we're suddenly an answer because of the empowerment of the Spirit of God that rests on us. The fruits of the Spirit. Do you know, how do I know I'm in an apple orchard? There's apples on the trees, right? Now that apple tree can't go into the fruit barn and buy apples and put them on itself. The apples are an outward sign of the inward life source. Just like you and I can't manufacture this. But also, we're known by our fruit. How do I know that you're Spirit-filled? Because you've got the fruit of the Spirit. He bears fruit in us. He also gives us gifts. He gives us gifts. Powerful list of gifts that He assigns to us in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. The gift of wisdom. Wisdom is a spirit. And we only need to ask and He comes and fills our lives. The gift of wisdom. The gift of knowledge, words of knowledge. You know sometimes when you're in the spirit and you know stuff you didn't know before? It's the gift of knowledge. The gift of faith. Faith is a gift. Faith isn't something that you make up or you conjure. Faith is a gift of the spirit that He gives you. It's not something you can manufacture. It's something you receive and suddenly you have faith. You can exercise your faith, you can grow your faith, but it's a gift. We all have a measure of faith. The gift of healing, laying hands on people, seeing them heal, the gift of miracles, the gift of prophecy, which in the last days is poured out on sons and daughters, the gift of the discernment of spirits, we operate in a spiritual environment. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. God gives us the gift of the discerning of spirits so that when you're having a conversation, you can recognize what spirit's in operation and you can counter that by the Spirit of God because greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. You need these gifts. You need these tools when you walk into work tomorrow morning, when you go into your family situation, when you meet someone on the street. You need these gifts, the gift of tongues, speaking the spiritual language, the interpretation of tongues, the gift of teaching. If you have the gift of teaching, teach. The gift of encouragement, the gift of generosity, the gift of leadership, the gift of mercy. We all are given gifts and all those gifts are for the building up of the church. The church is not a building with four black walls, the church is a group of people. And so we use those gifts to build the church and we manifest the fruits of the Spirit. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well? Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.